0: Today marks the start of a season in the church called Advent. Advent is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. It's been practiced in the church for over 1,500 years and is a season of reflection before Christmas. Advent literally means coming or arrival. Sometime after the 6th century, the church designated the four Sundays before Christmas as Advent. It begins the liturgical year, not intended for necessarily a merry four-week celebration. Such a celebration was reserved for Christmas Day and Christmastide, the 12 days between Christmas and Epiphany. Advent was, in contrast, an echo of Israel's deep longing for the promised Messiah. As such, the season is also known as Winter Lent, often called for fasting and penitence. However, Advent wasn't as kind of as somber and austere as Lent. Joy always seemed to be rippling underneath the surface of Advent, and on the third Sunday of the season, believers were invited to break their fast and rejoice. Advent both celebrates the arrival of Jesus and the coming of Jesus. Pastor Danny, um, who's not here today, summed it up like this, and this, I love the way he summed it up. He says this, God, Advent is summed up in this one sentence. God promised he would come, at just the right time he came, and he is coming again to make all things right. I love that. Advent is summed up perfectly in that sentence. God spoke through the Old Testament, we saw in that video. He spoke through the Old Testament that he will be there to God, that a Messiah was coming, and in the fullness of time, he came. He inaugurated his kingdom, and is coming again to reign forevermore. During this Advent season, we'll be looking at that statement, that God promised he would come, at just the right time he came, and he is coming again to make all things right. And we're going to be looking at that through the songs that have been sung during this season historically, traditionally, the songs of our old hymns that we would always sing at Christmas time, the songs that we often know the words to, but we really don't think about. Right? We can often sing, but we don't really let the words invade us or capture us or captivate us anymore. Today we're looking at the song "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel." I love that song, by the way. Anybody else like that song? So to be honest with you, at first I wasn't sure if I liked that song. Because when, when you hear that song, for those of you who know it, it's kind of haunting, isn't it? I was about to sing it, but that would be really haunting. <laughs> that would be really scary. The, tone is, the tune is slow and majestic, haunting, but the theology of the words is so deep and powerful. This beautiful song has a short but actually beautiful story, so I did some research. The song is ancient. And the author is unknown. We have no idea who wrote this, but just some monk is the guess, sometime around 800 A.D., a time that we often refer to the Dark Ages. This is when civilization was broken down, mankind was sliding backwards, more chaos, there was pestilence and warfare. There was lack of teaching, lack of education, lack of institutes of understanding. But someone, somewhere in a monastery in Europe, penned a song that would reach across the ages, to encourage and thrill millions of us even today. During that time, the Bible was inaccessible for most people, but a monk who composed the song must have had a full and rich knowledge of scriptures. The song displays a wealth of phrases from the Old Testament prophecy the rod of Jesse, day spring from on high, key of David, wisdom from on high. For the people of the medieval world who did not have the Bible to read, this was a teaching tool, expressing the hope and truth of Christmas. It was a fulfillment of ancient prophecies in the birth of Christ. So how did this tune become popular today? In the early 19th century, an Anglican priest named John Mason Neal was reading through an ancient book of hymns called a Psalter orium Cantinium Catholicorum. Something like that. Which, by the way, I don't know if you, guys, if you do this, but those are the types of books I read just for fun. Anybody else? Salterium, Cantinium, Catholicum. I usually just like watch TV, but no, that's what this guy did. He was a brilliant but frail man. He could write and speak over 20 languages, and uh, was a leading scholar. But apparently, there were some people who were jealous of his intellectual prowess, and through political uh, manipulation, he was, shut, he was sent off to a labor in a forgotten church in the Madeira Islands near Africa. So a brilliant scholar, but for, for some reason had bad enemies, and he was sent off to be a scholar in the Madeira Islands. But he didn't despair. On a simple, paltry salary, he established an orphanage, a school for girls, and a ministry to evangelize and reclaim prostitutes. And while he was tirelessly educated and evangelizing, he came across this hymn of faith in a Latin text. The tune that he discovered that went with this text was from a 15th century French Franciscan convent of nuns ministering in Portugal. I'll say that again. The tune that came with this was written from a 15th century French Franciscan convent of nuns ministering in Portugal. So Reverend Neal took this translation from Latin, turned it into English, and used the same melody that was from this Franciscan convent of nuns. And it came over to England and to America and around the world. This gift of song was penned by unnamed monks over 1,200 years ago, given a tune by nuns in an obscure convent, rediscovered by a forgotten evangelist off the coast of Africa. The song Emmanuel, God with us, hidden for centuries but now enjoyed by millions. God is the one who orchestrates history. And the theme of his song is Emmanuel. O come, thou Dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadow put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. This song is full of hopeful waiting and longing. That is why I love the tune so much and why I think it matches the lyrics. It's a song that expresses a desire for something more, but with a hopeful confidence, but still with a sense of clear longing. It is a song of hopeful waiting. I hate waiting. I do. If anybody knows me, this is a really difficult idea for me. Waiting it just stinks for me. I, I really hate waiting. I may be the worst person at waiting in the world. I hate lines. I hate having to be patient for ideas that come into fruition. I hate waiting. And the question one has to ask when when you're waiting for something is, is what I'm waiting for worth it? When you go to the amusement park and you see it says an hour and 45 minutes to ride the Spider-Man ride, is it worth it? I'm always going to say no, but I'm afraid that one day Josiah is going to be like, no, it's worth it, Dad. I'm like, oh, man. I hate waiting. I see people waiting in lines for the new iPhone. And I say, it's not worth it for me, so I'll never do that. But for other people, it's worth it. I have a friend of mine, um, actually, one of the guys in our church, his uh, weird connection, either way, she goes to every Chick-fil-A opening, and they wait, they stay, I don't know how, I think it's like the first hundred people get like free Chick-fil-A for the year or something like that. She goes to every Chick-fil-A opening, stays up all night, however long, turns it into a party, but goes to it, so they have free Chick-fil-A for the year. Is it worth it? Not for me, but for some people it's worth it. And that's the question you have to ask when you wait for something. Is it worth it? As most of you already know, my wife and I are in the process of adoption. We have finished all that we can do. All of our paperwork, our home studies, everything that we needed to prepare for it, we're done. We're just now waiting. I hate it. (laughs) I can't stand it. There's nothing I can do. We're just waiting to be matched. We're waiting for the right child. We're waiting for the right situation. And we're just waiting. And I hate waiting. But let me tell you, in my mind, I'm willing to wait because it's worth it. I mean, the idea of adopting is just so exciting. The idea of bringing into our forever home a new child into our family is, yes, I'll wait. I'll gladly wait. I'll wait in line. I'll I'll stay up all night. Whatever it may take, I'll wait and I'll do it. I'm excited about it. It's worth it. You see, when you're waiting for something with hopeful anticipation, when you're waiting for something with hopeful waiting, it changes your waiting, doesn't it? You're saying, whoo, I'm going to get that iPhone at the end of this. woo I'm going to get that child at the end of this. Okay. Okay, I can do that. So what are we waiting for this season? What are we waiting for this Advent? The obvious answer is the arrival of Christ. That is what Advent meant and what we are celebrating. But what does that mean and what did it mean? For the people before Jesus' arrival, it meant one thing. And for those of us on this side of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, it means a completely other thing, doesn't it? The people before Jesus came were waiting for a coming Messiah, the one in the line of David. Jeremiah 33, 14-16. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. They were waiting for this day when the promise will be fulfilled, when the righteous branch will spring up out of David, and justice and righteousness will be in the land. They were looking for days to be saved and to dwell securely, where righteousness is the Lord. What were they looking for? They were looking for peace. They were looking for justice. They were looking for this concept of understanding of a kingdom that they didn't fully grasp, but they knew they wanted, and they knew they were not seeing now. Because what they saw now was corruption. What they saw now was injustice. What they saw now was death and insecurity. Insecurity. And they knew in their hearts they were longing for more. And they heard in the promises that more was coming. They didn't know exactly what it looked like, but they knew that a Messiah would bring it forth. Isaiah 9, 6-7 says this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. There comes someone and the government will be upon him and look at the names, listen to the names. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What did the Israelites long for? What do they want? They wanted government to be upon him, but they wanted this person to be first a wonderful counselor. Don't we want that too? A wonderful counselor, someone to, to know us, to counsel us, to speak to us, who tells us what is right and what is wrong, what is where to go left, where to go right, where to go forward, where to go backwards, when to stop and when to go intimately knows us but in the midst of intimately knowing us mighty god government is upon his shoulder but it's not just somebody who knows us intimately but also somebody who has the power to instill whatever rule he chooses and deems to make worthy guys there's a, there's a contrast guys, that I want you to understand is this desire and this is what we have too a desire to be known intimately by an incredible God, at the same time to have that God be so far and beyond us that he's not even capable of being known. Does that make sense? It's this almost contrast that we're living in, that we need almost. Because we need a God who, who wants us, to, to knows us, who, who is intimately felt with us, who knows the amount of hairs we have on our head, who can relate with us. At the same time, we need power in our God. We need him to not be knowable fully, because if he is, then he, would he really be God? We need him so much bigger and beyond us, everlasting Father. I mean, do you feel that the, the, the need of, of, of the people had yelling out, "We need a Father." I feel like that's the echo of so many of our hearts today. Prince of Peace. One of the things that we I've read over and over again as I um, kind of prep for sermons and research is one of the common conditions, not just reading but also just talking to people. One of the common conditions that I feel most of our people struggle with all the time is this lack of peace. We live and dwell in insecurity, anxiety. Don't we? We live in fear. Often, will our jobs be enough? Will we have enough money? Will our kids be safe? Will I I raise my child well? Are my parents okay? Do I have enough retirement? Is the government okay? Are we safe? The opposite of all of that is the prince of peace. Because all that is the opposite of peace. Do you hear what I'm saying? And we want security. We crave peace. And so here the Israelites were waiting for a kingdom of justice and righteousness for a time when sight comes to the blind, the oppressed are set free, and the poor are provided for. I actually want you to get this. During the time that Jeremiah and Isaiah wrote these prophecies, the land was full of corruption and oppression. It's actually funny that Jeremiah in particular calls for a king in the line of David because he seems to be most critical of all the kings of his time. The people were calling for freedom, for justice, for mercy on the streets, for a favorable year of the Lord. They were looking for a kingdom that was so much different from what they experience now. They were asking for a needing peace and consolation. They needed to know that the human condition that they were experiencing was met. They were people who came face to face with their own sin and need for cleansing and they couldn't find it on their own. They couldn't find it in the kings that they set apart for them. They couldn't find it in their government. They needed more. They needed a redeemer. They needed a true high priest who was also king. They needed a Messiah. There are those here who know and also long for this. There's those of you who are here today and maybe you're just like the Israelites before the coming of the Messiah because you didn't know he actually came. Maybe you're just like the Israelites before the coming of the Messiah because for you, you've not accepted that he has already come. And you're sitting here in this place and you're like, yes, I need a prince of peace. Yes, I need an everlasting father. Yes, I need a counselor. What does that look like to have? And you're here with the Israelites saying, you know, my life and this world and what I'm experiencing, I feel like there's something missing. It's not what it's meant to be. And these are what I need. What the Israelites are crying out for, that's me. I'm saying, oh come, oh come, Emmanuel. I don't know that I'm saying that. I'm not using those words, but with my life, maybe I'm here at church because I've been seeking that. I believe the human condition, I said this a million times, I'll say it again, I believe the human condition is this, that we all want to be known, we all want to be loved, and we all crave and desire purpose. But the problem is, when we truly are willing to be known, you know, when we want to be known, the problem is if we realize, if we're known that all our sin and our darkness and our evil thoughts and our selfishness and our greed, it comes up and we're like, who can really love me? Or you just because you want to be loved so bad, you just cover up your face and having all these masks and be like, hey, I'm this kind of person, I'm this kind of guy, and you cover up who you are so you maybe you can convince somebody to love you, but are you really known? And we have this issue, the human condition, we want to be known, we want to be loved, but we also want purpose. And here's the thing, here's the beautiful news of the coming Messiah. See, the Messiah came in the midst of all your sin, in the midst of all of our darkness, in the midst of the terribleness of the Israelite people. In the fullness of time, he came, and he lived a perfect life, and he died upon the cross in your place, so that when he looks at you, he can know you fully. You're sitting in your darkness. He knows it. He came in spite of it. He pursued you radically in it. And he can know you, and he can also say, no, I love you. Not because of who you think you are. Not because of who you'll become. I just love you. And you can receive that love because I paid the price, the penalty. So that now when, when, when I see you, when God sees you, he sees forgiveness. He sees righteousness. That His, his Jesus' very credit is placed upon you. So you can be known, and you can also be loved. And then he says, now come and be a part of the kingdom advancing that I'm doing. You now have eternal significance and purpose. So for those of you who are like the Israelites because you haven't yet accepted that the fact that Jesus has come, that your Savior is here, can I tell you that today you can know, and you can celebrate with those of the rest of us that Christmas has come. Not Christmas of opening gifts, but Christmas of a new life, a new heart. Christmas that means that God is with you and you are now changed forevermore. Yet for those of us that on this side of the arrival of Jesus, we still wait. For those of us who have seen the arrival, seen the Messiah, he has come and he is the wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. He is everlasting Father. He is Prince of Peace. And we sing out joy to the world. We sing out Emmanuel. We sing out all the praise that there is to sing out in praise. We've seen him. He has come. He is here. Messiah is here. Judgment and righteousness is on his shoulder. The broken is fixed. The blind see. The fatherless have a father. The oppressed are set free. And we see that, we sing, but we also still wait. You see, Jesus came and he inaugurated his kingdom. He announced his reign. We are in this period of continuation of that kingdom where we are called in this period to advance his kingdom. See, that gives us purpose. And one day Jesus will return to consummate his kingdom and complete his kingdom. Yet you see, you can look around the world and realize it isn't done. It's still not yet the way it's supposed to be. We are still crying out, bring peace, and turn the sword into the plowshare. You see it happening in Egypt with the bombing of the mosques. You see it happening in Syria with the refugee crisis. We saw it happen in Texas a few weeks back. We see the world and we realize it is not the way it's still supposed to be. And we still cry out, come, Lord Jesus We still cry out, yes, God, your kingdom is here. You came and you've started and you've established your kingdom. That is the hope of the world, the kingdom you've established. Now, it's our mission as being members of this kingdom to now take it forward and to advance it by making disciples of Jesus Christ. And in the midst of that, this is our purpose. We've given that. So we also still wait patiently for Jesus to come back and finish it all. But there are two different types of waiting. There's a passive waiting and an active waiting. A passive waiting is just kind of sitting around, not doing anything, just kind of like, eh, maybe Jesus will come back tomorrow. Just kind of hanging out, doing whatever, passing the time. You know, I don't know what you do on your iPhone, Sudoku, or what's the other game that your kids, people play on their phone? I don't know. Um, what's the thing with the. What it? What's a really popular game you play on your phone? Angry that's, There's a game in particular that I'm thinking of. What is it? Candy Crush. That's it. Who said Candy Crush? Thank you. That's the game I'm thinking. Of candy Crush. You can sit around and you can play Candy Crush. You can play Angry Birds. You can read articles. You can check your fantasy football team. You can hang out and do nothing, and you can wait. That's the passive waiting. Or you can actively wait. And active waiting is taking part and taking initiative into action during the waiting. And God has called us to active waiting. Second Peter three fourteen through fifteen. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. The for these is referring to the new kingdoms and the new earth. This is talking about when Jesus comes and finishes everything. In other words, Christ's return. And so as we're waiting for Christ's return, we're called to activity. We'd be called to be found without spot or blemish. In other words, we're called to live a life of, of purity and righteousness. We're called to live a life that looks like Jesus. Not because we can look at each other and be like, ooh, look how clean I am. See how fresh these clothes are? You know, we're not called to live without blemish to say, look how much better I am than the other person. When it says to live a life without spot or blemish, what that literally means is to walk and look like Jesus. Do you hear me? Without spot or blemish means to walk and live perfectly. And who walked and lived perfectly? Jesus. This is not a put on airs. This is not a look better at yourself. This is not a look down upon other people. This is, hey guys, as we're waiting for the end times, actively waiting, what you should be doing is be found without spot or blemish. In other words, be found at peace with one another, looking more like Jesus, living more like Jesus. Because here's what happens when that happens. Because the patience count, count count the patience of our Lord as salvation. What does it mean by count the patience of our Lord as salvation? What it literally means is as is in His patience, God's patience is He's willing you to look and live more like Jesus, so that you can show and share with more people. It's the patience of the Lord is salvation. He's willing this to be his. This is His will is that as he's patient, God, Jesus can come tomorrow. He can come at any moment, but he's intentionally being patient so that you can live and look like Jesus, and in that active waiting, others may receive salvation. They can see the way you look and look like Jesus. They can see you living at peace with one another. and They, they too then can become a disciple of Christ. The, more the waiting time is intentional, patience from the Lord, so that we can be about the work called to us. Matthew 24, 14 says this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is a passage talking about the end times, and it literally says that the gospel will be, will be, hear that, will be, proclaimed throughout the whole world, to all nations. Hear that. Throughout the whole world, it will be. It's not like it could be. It's not like it may be. It will happen. The gospel will go throughout the whole world to every nation. In other words, every people group, every ethnicity, every people group will hear the gospel, the message of the cross. And then the end will come. Well, guys, every people group have not yet heard the gospel. And it is our duty to actively wait, to actively wait. We can't force Jesus to come, but as we actively wait, because it is patience that we're called to reach and see more people saved, we actively wait, praying that the gospel will go to all nations and being instruments of that gospel advancing to all nations so that the end may come. guys. so that we can see a new heavens and a new earth where all the swords are turned into plowshares. Where there's no more weeping, where justice reigns, mercy flows, where the blind and the hungry are no more, and the orphaned all have fathers. This is what we wait for as we celebrate Advent. We say, Yes, Jesus, God, this is what Advent is. God, you said you were coming. And in the fullness of time, God, you came, but we know you're coming again to make all things right thank you God let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you that our waiting is hopeful God that it's not rooted in any kind of obscure possibility but God our waiting is rooted and secured in your promises that you will come again you said you would come and you came God and you said you will come again so we know you will come again So we stand secure in your promise. God, we don't wait with passive waiting, God, but we wait with hopeful waiting. God, but we wait, God, with uh, action. God, we wait with intentionality. God, we wait as we look and try to live more like you, Jesus, and we see your kingdom come on earth as it is heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.